Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soccer Speakeasy. I'm Jacob Myers, Columbus Crew Beat Writer at the Columbus Dispatch. I'll be hosting this episode of the program since Mike's not able to join us today. But our photographer extraordinaire, Kyle Robertson's here again after we recorded a short podcast after the game on Saturday night, early Sunday morning. And in place of Mike today, we brought on Morgan Hughes. You all know him as one of the leaders in public face of Save the Crew. I believe he has fully recovered from a week of what I can only assume had very little sleep, plenty of anxiety, and a touch of existential dread uh, that ended in consuming maybe some bubbly and, and perhaps some crying there as well. Uh, thanks for being here. Did that sum it up pretty well? To the uh, to the striker and to the shield, I can only say that uh, it was early yesterday afternoon when I decided that I probably wasn't going to die from this hangover. <laughs> uh, and I'm happy to be here and uh, about I'm about 96 percent recovered. Well, that's good. I mean, we want 95 or 94.5 percent. Uh, efficacy, right? That That's where mm-hmm. we should be functioning at. So as you all know, uh, the crew won MLS Cup in dominant fashion 3-0 against the Seattle Sounders for a team that was nearly uprooted two to three years ago to win in front of its fans. The way it did was nothing short of one of the better stories in American professional sports, let alone American soccer. If you want to throw in the world, I'll allow that as well. I don't think that's overstating it at all either. Lucas Elorayan was named MVP in what was one of the greatest individual performances, I think you could say, in crew history, if not the greatest. Jonathan Mensa led a back line that was absolutely superb against a vaunted Seattle attack that was not anywhere near as dangerous as expected. They did have a few nerfing moments there in the second half. I think if Ladero sneaks that one in inside the left or right post, it's probably a little more nervy down the stretch, but... Uh, Zellerayon capped it off what I think, other than Frankie Hayduk's goal in 20, 2008, at least that's what it reminded me of. That's how memorable I think that 82nd minute goal is, is going to be. Um, the scene after the game with the trophy celebration and fans sticking around is is something I won't soon forget just because of the, the sheer joy in that stadium. And Kyle, you can attest to this, but it's stories and the humanity of those moments that really make covering sports just such a joy from from our perspective. I feel so honored to have kind of just witnessed all of that. Uh, It it was highlighted by a lot of people um, after the game, but instead of grabbing the trophy herself, Dee Haslam, she didn't touch the trophy and and let Jonathan Mensah take it immediately on stage to the team. I I always kind of kind of wince a bit when owners are presented the trophy, like the, the Hunts taking it before Patrick Mahomes took it when the when the Chiefs won, and you, you see that a lot. So that was kind of refreshing to see Mensa just grab a hold of that uh, and take that up to the team. Colin and I talked about the match after the game, so I think I'll just open up to you, Morgan. Tell us what you did all day Saturday, waiting for the match, your, your thoughts before the game and, and as the game wore on. You know, I think you mentioned existential dread, and I, I think that's a very accurate uh, and apt way of describing what my feelings were heading into it. 
after 8.30 p.m. kicks are not good. <laughs> no, certainly not. The, the Nagby and Santos news that came down just kind of, I mean, whatever whatever I felt, which was a lot of negative emotions, a lot of, uh, well, here we go again. Here's 2020 rearing its ugly head just when you thought you were going to have a happy moment. Credit where it is due to Caleb Porter and the, and the leadership of that team in the, in the, in the locker room because it almost made them stronger. Um, that's, you know, you, it was clear from the first three minutes of that game that, that Columbus is out on the front foot uh, and that while they certainly missed those guys, they were absolutely playing for them. Uh, so it was, you know, I, I, I want to thank the universe for not making me go through both an Ohio State Michigan football game and a Columbus Crew Seattle Sounders MLS Cup in the same day, because guys, I, I'm not sure I would have survived that. <laughs> Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die: The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan from the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kyle, since we last spoke, is there anything we neglected to mention that you've just thought of more since Saturday? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I, I think, uh, Lucas Zeron goes down as the as the goat for the crew. I think he I think he surpasses everyone with his performance. Um, looking back, and you know I I, I know in the 2008 uh, Scalotto had three assists, but if you think about what what this team was going up against and the team and the situation of missing you know two of the four best players uh, you know on their team, you know, and he put in a you know an, an all time great performance, and I think. It's legendary, and I think his his name is already on that ring of honor, no matter what happens, you know. And I know I think Scalotto had three seasons, and I think he had like 38 goals and over 100 appearances. But I think uh, I I just think it's just an, an epic performance. It's massive, and I, I and I think Crew fans won't ever forget it. And I think it I think it makes him the greatest player in Crew history. So that's that's pretty bold, Kyle. Yeah. Morgan, it kind of felt like uh, I, I hate always comparing because I know it's a sensitive thing to yeah. crew fans. But how could you not kind of compare what the crew that that Nagby and Santos news? And, and you know, from our perspective, I, I thought it was just I felt the gut punch because I, I know, especially Pedro, like his, the resurrection a bit of his career in Columbus has been really exciting to see. And Nagby's such a good player came here to win one for Columbus at a human level. How do you not just feel for those guys, even? kind of in my capacity, I'm sure fans were have felt it even more, but um, it, how do you not kind of compare it to kind of the, like the JT Barrett Cardale situation? I, were you thinking about that at all? Immediately. Um, you know, not just because it, it was such a good comparison, but because it happened in the same city and it happened, you know, uh, leading into a championship. Um, I remember thinking about that 2014 Ohio State team that if you if you pitched that idea to a studio, uh, they would say this is this is too unbelievable. We can't make this. No one will buy it. It, it couldn't happen in real life. Um, and I'm not sure that it's to that extent just because, you know, I mean, JT Barrett was breaking records that was set by by Drew Brees, which were untouchable. And he did it as a freshman. But, um, you know, Nagby is the linchpin of that offense, um, you know. 
this is a historically good defense. And one of the reasons that they were so good and so effective is because Darlington Nagby with this possession oriented game doesn't make defenses play defense as much as they normally would defend because he prevents turnovers and he's a ball hawk and he just wins so many uh, challenges for that to happen. And for the, uh, you know, the 59, nothing pacing of Wisconsin, I guess that could be compared to this three, nothing pacing of Seattle. Um, it's just, uh, it's another one of those things where you would say, I, I probably wouldn't buy that. I probably wouldn't buy that book. I probably wouldn't watch that movie because it's too unbelievable. Yeah, I thought I thought going into the game, it was more of the situation. I mean, I I, I do like the the Cardell and JT, but to me, it was more of a uh, Kyrie's out and and Matthew Del Vadova is is in, and you know, you just hope that he doesn't get embarrassed. I mean, that's truly, you know, what I was kind of thinking is like, hey, whoever's going to replace him, like, you know, just just be serviceable, you know, get to sixty minutes and then make a sub, and you know, who knows what what happens. So I think that's a to me, I think that's a little bit more, you know, I think Cardell, he's big, he's physical, he can throw the ball. I, I think they did a really good job with it. But I just think what 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 Aiden Moores did was a little bit more heroic and um, just the way that he played and and, and, uh, and a little bit of the uh, uh, puck luck that we talked about, uh, you know, heading into the game, I, I believe was it the first goal. The ball bounced off the little spider video thing that was um, going around right. above the stadium. And that's how that's how they got the the uh, the first goal going. It was a first, I think it was the first goal. Yeah, yeah, you um, got it. Yeah. So I mean, that's you know, th- those are some of the things that we talked about the bounces and you know going the right way in 2015. It didn't kind of work that way. So yeah, hey, it's about time we got some good luck in a cup final on that side of the field. You know, five years ago it was Tony Chani not playing a ball that was uh, clearly out of bounds, but stopping when the rest of the other you know players on the field didn't. This time, maybe the universe corrected itself a little bit, throws that that spider wire in the air there. Aiden Morris collects it, pulls it off to Harrison Awful, and the rest is uh, the rest is history. So it feels good to have that wrong righted at least a little bit. I'm sure people saw on uh, on Twitter. I'm sure it went other places, but you know, two I I think three years ago, 2017 playoff game, I believe against New York City, Aiden Morris was standing behind a Save the Crew Academy banner. And then three years later, he's winning MLS Cup. I, that, I mean, Morgan, you talk about things that people don't believe. That that's certainly uh, one of those. But yeah, credits to him, a 19-year-old coming in, um, younger than Landon Donovan when he played in MLS Cup, and and, and Morris gets a secondary assist uh, off of that play, and he did like kind of what Nagby is so good at. He got out of pressure, switched the field, and. And that kind of opened things up for the crew from there. But I wrote about he and Etienne after the game. Uh, Another guy we should absolutely highlight, Derek Etienne Jr., a trialist at the beginning of the year, stepped in, basically took the starting job from Luis Diaz, who played some of his best soccer at the end of the season. And, you know, he says he was er, – Etienne says he was profiled, uh, racially profiled twice in, in a day by Columbus police during the summer. He's out with COVID during the playoffs and then scores uh, the goal that pretty much sealed the fate uh, of the game there in the 31st minute. Uh, just I think that kind of highlights some adversity that the players, the team went through this year. Uh, I, I think it's really, you know, it's so hard. Kyle and I talked about this. I won't spend a ton of time on it, but. A third of the team got COVID in, in, in 
three weeks. I think there are some questions there. Obviously, the the virus is spreading uncontrollably. I won't spend a time time on this, so because I don't think you can blame individuals. All these guys seem to have been taking it very very seriously. But for Derek to come back from that, and, and like I said, uh, racially profiled twice during the summer by police, um, really really a testament to him and what a good season he had. Well, I think that you can, um, you know, I, I was I was on. Sirius XM yesterday and Jason Davis asked me if if there was any feeling of an asterisk next to this championship. And it kind of it took me back a little bit because I, I can go on a rant that. about this. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think my answer was something like, if anything, the 2020 championship is such a culmination of such adversity faced uh, that I, I don't I think that if there is an asterisk next to this championship, it is this meant more than any other season. And we won the cup in it. And I, I would I would dare you to approach someone like Derek Etienne Jr., who who was racially profiled during the the summer of unrest due to racial profiling. I dare you to say something like that to Jonathan Mensa, who didn't see his wife for 10 months. I dare you to say it to the staffers and the coaches and the front office people and the sales people and the grounds crew and security guards and the backups who never got to play, who went through an entire calendar year of missing time with their family to give us a chance to experience this. And it all paid off. So <laughs> in regards to whether or not this meant less, I, I would laugh in the face of anyone who would suggest that and say, absolutely not. This means more. There should be an exclamation point, not an asterisk. Just boom, put it right out of there. <laughs> well, it's so it's so ridiculous. I think more so maybe with like NBA or NHL, where they're kind of at the end of the season, and then had to alter things. Like you could talk about it a little more, but like Major League Baseball had a shorter season. Okay, MLS did too, but it was at the beginning of the year. Everybody went through the same exact calendar, the same exact protocols. Everyone was on. And even I mean, the scheduling you could talk about is the only thing that was a little odd and different. But for pretty much everyone was on an even playing field. The crew had seven guys out with covid in a week, beat Nashville. Another guy test positive before New England won that game. And then two of its uh, best players out against Seattle and just dominated the game. I mean, it is a little odd to say that a team that had one third possession of the ball in the game completely dominated the other team, but that's exactly what happened. And and we'll talk about him a little bit later. And you mentioned it, um, Morgan, but Caleb Porter's adjustment and his game plan, how he motivated the guys uh, is quite an achievement. And I'll just kind of read something he said. He, he said, this was his message to the guys was quote, we were, we weren't going to let history in the past determine today talking about how good Seattle was and, and how they were kind of looked at as the clear favorite. This was going to be our year. It was going to be our day. It was going to be our trophy. He, he's a master motivator, no question about it. And I think he clearly showed that this season. Yeah, but I also but I also think that the players knew that missing their two, you know, two of the four best players. I mean, there's motivation right in there when you're down two key starters. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, you know, none of us are athlete, you know, professional athletes to know how much difference that it makes. But everyone in that in that locker room, you know, heading out of the field knew what they were going up against, you know, anyway. You know, so I think, yes, he is a really good motivator. But the players knew. I mean, the players knew what was at stake. They, you know, I, you know, I think you're right on that aspect. But I think that, you know, the player, you know, I think more so gives credit to the players than than the, than the coach. 
Yeah, they didn't need a ton of yeah. motivation. Yeah. I mean, you saw it after the game, Jonathan Mensa's trotting around Darlington Nagby's jersey, uh, going around the field just holding the jersey, and both of them have Pedro's jersey and Nagby's jersey in the locker room as they're celebrating. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on that, Kyle. I think that it's one thing to say something. It's another thing to deliver. And when, when, um, when your predictions are as lofty as trophies, it is, um, it is noteworthy and something to be celebrated when you achieve that goal. And certainly Caleb Porter deserves a lot of credit. And I will be very forthright and honest. I did not believe in him when he was hired. And I think I said as much on, um, aces radio, a few times. And I believe that Caleb Porter heard me say that. Um, <laughs> and at the groundbreaking from the new stadium, he came up to me and kind of like, you know, pulled me aside and kind of spoke directly into my ear. Cause you know, he's a, he's a smaller guy and I clearly outsized him. <laughs> uh, and he, he kind of stand on his tiptoes. No, but he, he said in my ear, he's like, Hey, I, I know you might not believe you might not believe me, but we're going to do special things. We got this taken care of, you know, stay the course, something like that. And I, I remember thinking at the time, like, first of all, why is this guy listening to me? You know, who am I? Yeah. Uh, but second of all, it's meaningful and noteworthy when you put something out there like that into the universe, because the universe is going to take note and people are going to hold you accountable. And man, he, he delivered <laughs> it, that, you know, it's one thing to say something. It's another thing to make those predictions come through. And he did it at the, uh, we'll, we'll get back to him but at the trophy presentation. It, we would be remiss if we didn't note that MLS Commissioner Don Garber was was jeered by the some several thousand fans that <laughs> were there. I, what what other verbiage would you use? I like I think we all saw the tweet um, that said um, the NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman would would have been jealous. I thought that was uh, pretty funny. It sounded like twenty thousand people when he yeah. spoke, and either the connection to the microphone. Uh, to the stadium PA was poor or he stumbled over his words. It kind of sounded like the MLS draft where I'd have to look at an old a race column about what he actually said, but I can tell you verbatim what he said. It was the, it was Los Angeles football club is what he was trying to say. Right. He said with the first pick in the 2008 MLS draft, the Los (laughs) Angeles football craft select blah, blah, blah. (laughs) He got the year wrong by a decade and he got the team name wrong by its entirety. Well, well, there it was, but it was, it was, it could have been an inside job too. Could have been a save a crew guy, you know, messing with the audio, hitting a little, you know, hitting a little button on there, a little mute. Let's get that guy on the program. Uh, but it yeah. was it was audible through the broadcast. Yeah. I, I, I saw Jimmy and D and Pete Edwards motion with their arms toward the Nordex section to cut it out. Uh, obviously, that didn't work. So, Morgan, do you think the crew fans were too harsh? You know, I <laughs> I'm not going to be the arbiter of uh, of corrective actions post action, but I've done this during the crew. I I was a frequent. Uh, tweeter at him. I was a frequent critic of his. Um, and I said over and over and over again to him um, that it's never too late to do the right thing. Right. That was one of our messages. And um, in the end, he did what was right by this community. And people might not like to hear that. But I'm telling you, if you're listening to this and you're a crew fan, Don Garber is not our enemy, man. Like there are 26 teams in this league. 25 of them aren't us. That's who you want to. That's who you want to go after. And I'm not saying you have to cheer the guy. Listen, in in the 2019 MLS Super Draft, the last one they held um, in a, in its old form, where fans were there, 
uh, a bunch of us went, a bunch of FC Cincinnati fans went. It was uh, in Chicago. And I think it was Mark Abbott who came up to our group and said, hey, guys, you know, um, John wants to come over and say hi and chat with you guys. And, you know, I just wanted to make sure it was cool because it saved the crew. And, you know, you guys have maybe some harsh feelings towards him. Is it okay if Don comes over? And I told him straight up, absolutely not. Do not put that guy in this position because no one here likes him. Um, (laughs) And that's just the reality of it. So on one side, I'd say he's not the bad guy. Let's move on. On the other, I'd say, man, you know, you can't you can't deny what happened. And I'm not going to tell anyone not to boo somebody that they identify as um, somebody that maybe wasn't always on their side. Do you think he did the right thing or do you think he was forced to do the right thing? I don't think the distinction matters, frankly. Uh, <laughs> the right thing was done, and he certainly played a part in it. And, uh, you know, this city is better for it. Well, there are a couple things about the, Yeah, I hope people understand uh, that I was completely joking and saying that they're being too harsh. It was it was quite a moment. Um, well, let's talk about Caleb Porter a little. Uh, how the season, I, I think, how has been the best of his coaching career, uh, especially given all the coaches have gone through uh, how he rallied the team and the team rallied around, you know, everyone else. It, it takes a coach for those guys to not need any extra motivation when that news comes down to just kind of transition into saying, okay, let's go. Um, so I, I kind of wrote about all the things he, he has done this year. Hopefully people saw that. It, it's funny. He actually said after the game, he felt like crew fans would never really accept him unless he gave them a trophy that he took for them in in 2015 Morgan last year there were some crew fans calling for Porter to be fired when the team went 113 and 1 in the summer though I never think that was even a there was even a slight possibility of that happening uh what what do you make of his time so far with the crew and, and the way he got that team to play Saturday listen I, I think that it's always you know they're back when I was you know more active in athletics when I was on basketball teams here and there you know, you'd play with guys who you'd think, man, I love having him on my team. But if he weren't, I would hate him. Um, you know, like a guy like Aaron Kraft jumps to mind. Uh, I remember the Crispin brothers who played for Penn State back in the 90s. I hated them, but I'm sure Penn State fans love them. I think Caleb Porter is that kind of guy, um, especially his crew fans who, you know, he's right. He was here in 2015 wearing, a, you know, a green scarf, lifting an MLS cup that a lot of us believed was going to be ours. Um, and you know, he just, there's some histrionics on the sideline, if you will, from Caleb Porter, you know, he's famous for, you know, going after, uh, you know, opposing coaches and, um, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And a lot of times those guys, you either love him or you hate him. And, um, regardless of how we felt in 2019, um, at the end of 2020, at the conclusion, Caleb Porter has unquestionably cemented himself in in the, the, the cement of the foundation of what the history books will say about the Columbus crew. And, you know, I'll eat some crow. I'm sure a lot of people on big soccer will eat some crow. Uh, you know, a lot of people on Reddit and Twitter and Facebook, Caleb Porter delivered exactly what he said he was going to deliver. And there's nothing that you can take away from that. And I think he did it a year early. I mean, we've talked about it a lot. Like we, you know, I think he had his plan and got, you know, the players. And I I, I do give him a lot of credit for not 
completely destroying the roster and getting rid of some of the guys that Greg brought in and, and that played well and that he kind of mixed mixed and matched and kind of came, you know, the, the right formula to succeed. But, you know, I, you know, I think his vision was always, um, you know, to go for it the year the stadium open. I think that was probably in his presentation to the ownership group. Hey, this is my plan. You know, boom, 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 boom. Maybe by the time we open a new stadium, we'll be, you know, really in, you know, really a contender and, and can win it. So I think that's uh, that's something that you have to give him a lot of credit for is that I think they peaked early. Um, than than what maybe they kind of planned on. I think he that's also got rid true. of. He also got rid of Will Trapp. He got rid of Alex Cronale. Yeah. Uh, these are two Columbus guys yeah. that that were fan favorites. The fan base absolutely loved those yeah. two. You're going to see their jerseys in our stadium for as long as soccer exists. Um, and those weren't easy uh, moves to make. And he did it because he thought it was in the better interest of the club. And they were upgrades. If I mean to be honest with you. No, that's absolutely yeah. true. And he, he did get some crap for bringing in guys from yeah. Portland. Uh, I, I will say that it happens everywhere. You see coaching changes in soccer everywhere in the world, and they like to bring in guys. And, and even guys, if they don't bring them in from their former teams, they're still scouting the same guys they were scouting right. at that club. Like These things are normal. And to be frank, you know, right. Nagby, if you had the opportunity to get yeah. him, why wouldn't you yeah. just pay every... Uh, every cent you could. But Nagby, I don't think Nagby's coming here if, if Greg's still the coach. You know, I think I think that had a lot to do with it also. Is He, he yes. has a special bond with Porter. Yeah. But yes, sure. he does have Ohio roots and everything like that. But I think that's also, you have guys that you, that you know and guys that will play for you. But, I, you know, I don't think Nagby would be coming to Columbus if Greg or somebody else was, you know, Bruce was the coach or whoever might be the coach. So I think that's, uh, that's also very important too. Yeah, and guys like, he brought on David Guzman last year, who was just terrible, and then let him go. Fernando Adi, he brought him on. It was a very, very small budget charge. I think at the time it was probably smart for them to just see, you know, maybe this guy could do something, and he hasn't. I know the club in their press release, and we'll get to the roster decision, says they're going to negotiate um, with, with all those guys out of contract, which includes Adi. I would be surprised that they brought him back. Um you know, maybe it'll, maybe they will, but it'll be extremely small budget charge. So he's not hell bent on keeping guys that that he had around, um, but he has relationships with guys, and maybe that can that can help them out. So I think that's how he kind of views um, through that lens. So well, let's get to the roster decisions. Yesterday, uh, they announced who would be coming back, who was already under contract, who's being let go. So 22 of 30 roster spots are currently taken up. Andrew Tarbell, Eunice Mokhtar, Fatai Lache, Christian Namath, Jordan Hamilton had their options declined. They can go to other teams. Adi, Emmanuel Boateng, Wayland Francis, and Hector Jimenez are all out of contract. As I said, the club said they will continue to de- negotiate contracts with those players. Tarbell was definitely a surprise. Uh, the crew acquired the day before in kind of a half-day trade window. They acquired veteran keeper Evan Bush from Vancouver. He was with Montreal for the longest time for 125000 in general allocation money. I, I got the sense that it was an incredibly difficult decision to let Tarbell go. Obviously, he was a huge part of the MLS Cup run. And it was important to note kind of in the press release about acquiring Evan Bush was Montreal and Vancouver took some of Bush's salary charge. So I feel like they were just trying to get a backup keeper that they felt like they could have for 
less of a salary charge, and maybe that was a reason they opted not to have Tarbell stay. Morgan, did you have any reaction to their decisions? It just seemed to me like that, you know, I think you hit it right right on the button there, that Tarbell is too good of a keeper to, um, you know, not get a significant pay upgrade. He's going to be playing somewhere in the league next year, probably as the number one. I think he wants that too. Um, And and he deserves to have a shot at that spot. So if, if he wasn't going to get that with the crew, if he can find a team where he can do that, Go right ahead. He deserves it. Yeah, this 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 is a good this is a good player. People forget he was a finalist for uh, MLS Goalkeeper of the Year in 2017. So this guy's he's got the chops for sure. Evan Bush coming in, he makes a lot of money uh, for for somebody who um, I, I don't think that Vancouver or Montreal is uh, is the fan base is sad to see him go. But listen, he's gonna get, he's an Ohio guy. He's gonna get an opportunity to play with the crew. We're not only just gonna be dealing with Champions League in 2021. The U.S. Open Cup will probably hopefully be back on regular season games, um, friendlies. You have the Campiones Cup. So whomever is the number two, whether it's Bush or John Kempen or Matt Lampson, um, they're going to get opportunities, especially with Aloy Room being away on international duty, which will be happening in 2021. Kyle, any thoughts? No, I think you guys both nailed it. I mean, it's uh, sad. You know, I think he played really well, especially in the two playoff games. And, uh, you know, I think he only gave up six goals in 10 games or so, um, you know, but, you know, it could have been a mutually agreed upon, hey, I want to try to go try to be a starter somewhere, you know, so that's maybe one of the could be one of the reasons why, he, you know, maybe was let go. But I think that, you know, but I mean, I think a backup, it's not the end of the world, <laughs> obviously, and, and they already made some an, a, a transaction to kind of address that. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. So, I mean, I, if that's all they were really upset about is is the backup goalie, I think I think uh, I think they're in good shape. You could say that uh, Mokhtar is a little bit of a surprise if you're looking at that from a perspective of how he performed in MLS's back tournament. It seemed at the time that between him and Sanch, we had both wings locked down and, and come to find out. He did something or didn't do something that led to maybe a spot in the doghouse. And, um, you know, we'll see. But there, there's there's room now to upgrade on those wings in the offseason. Yeah, I think that's something they'll they'll definitely address. And, and like you said, I think I think other people surpass them on the depth of the depth chart. And so that's just the way it goes. I mean, it's not he he played well when he had his chances. But then there are other time other games where he he just it looked kind of out of sync. But I mean, that's an easy replacement to get, I, I would think, you know, to bring in somebody um, right around the same skill or even heck, even even be better. Mokhtar had a high budget charge, too. So yeah. I think that frees up a ton of space. I, I thought just toward the end of the year, I mean, he was being left off match day rosters. He played in one of the final three games of the regular season and didn't play at all in the playoffs. So I just think he he fell out of favor and he, he was hurt a little bit. You wonder if that contributed to it. But uh, I think it was clear that Porter was going to go in another direction. So the crew decided to bring back Aloy Room, Harrison Offal, Grant Lillard, Milton Valenzuela, and Josh Williams. Pedro Santos, Derek Etienne Jr. had their contracts, uh, their options exercise. And then uh, back up forward, Miguel Berry also will be coming back. So so their current roster as going into the 2021 offseason at goalkeeper, it's Evan Bush, John Kempen, Matt Lampson, Aloy Room. There are eight defenders with Awful, Chris Cadden, Abubakar Keda, Lillard, Jonathan Mensa, Valenzuela, Josh Williams, and Vito Wormhor. Eight midfielders, Artur, Sebastian Burhalter, Luis Diaz, Etienne, Aiden Morris, Darlington Nagby, Santos, and Zella Rayon. 
forwards, Miguel Berry, Jossie Zardes, all of the guys that make up the core of this team were already under contract. So when you're talking about them peaking early, I mean, just look at the kind of the midfield trio that I believe asserted themselves as the best in the league with Zellerayon, Nagby, and Artur. They're all under contract for a while. Morgan, what what do you think is kind of the, the ceiling for this team moving forward? Especially, I think you would probably agree that they peaked a bit early and there's a lot to look forward to in 2021. You know what I think of when I see this roster is how important it is in Major League Soccer to not miss on your designated players. You just you just can't do it in this era of the league. Toronto FC in their first 10 years springs to mind. You know, they they just couldn't get it right. They couldn't get it right before Altidore, Bradley and Giovinco. Look at Jonathan Mensah. Look at Jossie Zardes. Look at look at Milton Valenzuela. Um, these are all guys that, and look at Pedro Santos. These are all guys that at one time or another were on some level of designated player contract that was then bought down with, you know, Tam Gam, what have you, and now don't take up an, uh, a designated player spot that allows you to, to basically, you know, if you do it right at some point, you could have a roster full of designated yeah. players, especially if, you know, a majority of their budget charges, their transfer fee. So, I look at this roster and I realize that, you know, with buying down of, of contracts or of, uh, or what have you with Tam and Gam, the crew could have t- legitimately two open designated player slots yeah. as the defending champion heading into a new stadium. And I just if we as fans put ourselves back in that mindset in 2017 <laughs> where the future did not look bright and you compare it to now, it is it almost feels like a dream. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like a dream. This, I mean, where's the weakness on this team? You could say one side of the, uh, you could say on the right yeah. side on the wing, but Derek Etienne Jr. Yeah. is is no yeah. slouch. And you could say Harrison Offal's getting yeah. old, but Chris Caden's right there behind him. I mean, other than that, where's the weakness yeah. on this team? You make a very good point. I, I do think, that, you know, I think all year we talked uh, on this show and you guys might have, but the depth has been probably the greatest it's ever been in the history of the crew. And it, and it obviously worked in it, in it during the whole entire postseason run and everything. But, you know, like you said, they do have opportunity to add to it. I would like them, you know, there are two things that I would like them to see do next year is almost kind of like keep on growing the young guys. I mean, you have three homegrowns on your roster that that got some time. And so I'd like to see them kind of get more time and kind of give some of the older guys a break. You know, the you know, the NBA, you know, take a game off rest. Um, but then, you know, I think they should really look into trying to add a young you know, winger and just spend two or three million dollars on somebody that they could eventually flip in a few years. Something along the lines of Milton. You know, I know he got injured and, you know, he you know, that was maybe some thought on, you know, maybe have him play a couple years and maybe sell him, you know, and, and kind of make some money that way. But those are the two things that I would like them to kind of address and kind of move move more forward. I think the crew needs to do better job at developing and and um, playing their homegrowns and, and and then too i'd like to see them get a young guy and, and you know get them you know 20 years old 19 years old from one of these you know big big time you know uh teams and just develop and then flip you know try to flip them and and, and if you can do that you know you can make some money and then you have the ability to to, to buy you know or you know trade for bigger pieces moving forward well, where are your designated player spots going to be? It's going to be your number 10. Yep. Clearly, that's got to be your top guy. And they absolutely hit on Lucas Elorayon, who I think uh, everyone understands that we really only got a 
I don't want to say a glimpse, but it wasn't the full picture of what he can do in a full season because he was hurt. Um, I guess just sidebar on him real quick. It's he had three separate injuries this year to miss seven games. Uh, he, he's talked about seeing a sports psychologist. The pandemic hasn't been easy on him just being in a completely new city. Uh, and the guy, by all accounts, people have really taken to him in the locker room at training. Josh Williams was saying he works extremely hard. And, and I think that has been incredibly important to the success of this team, seeing a guy that talented. Uh, and, and I think probably resurrected his career a little bit. He even talked about needing to reinvigorate himself a little bit, not getting that at T grace. Cause he was coming off the bench starting here and there, but uh, really credit to him to put in the work to have this type of season um, in his first year. But back to the DPs, Bez has said they have room to get two more guys. That's going to be a winger and a forward, I think you would expect. So winger, you know, Pedro Santos is starting to get up there in age, and he's been incredibly productive. He'll continue to be a core piece of this team for the future. But I think you want a guy to compete with him yeah. and Luis Diaz. I think you want a guy in his mid mid to late 20s like Azilarayan that can come in and be that additional scorer. And if you have it your way, you're choosing between Pedro Santos, who has scored 17 goals in the regular season in the last two years, and this other guy who can also produce. As a forward, I think Jossie's obviously the clear guy you play, so maybe that's where you get a younger guy and, and kind of develop him a little bit. He's competing with Jossie every day. So if they're looking to spend on their DPs, I think that's that's where you look. What, what do you think, Morgan? You know, I, I, again, I think it's, it's such a valuable place to be in from a roster perspective when you can talk about, hey, we have the room to sign two DPs and we don't need them to be immediate starters. Um, yeah. You know, that that's hitting on a Pedro, hitting on a Jonathan Mensa, doing it right with our tour, hitting on Milton Valenzuela, you know, picking up Jossie Zarnes, which was in retrospect, a steal hitting on Lucas Zellerayon means that all these guys are in their spots, getting Darlington Nagby, who both doesn't take up an international roster spot and was, you know, from inside the league. This allows you to not have to look for impactful starters. And if yeah. they become that, it's a bonus. I mean, the crew are in a position from a roster perspective that has to be the envy of every team in the league. And that includes LAFC when they're healthy and Seattle, when they actually decide to show up the games. Um, you know, I, I think that they're in a position where they can look to say, Hey, maybe we think about bringing in a, a young DP as our, our, you know, next generational number nine after Jossie. Yeah. And if he pushes him hard, maybe we trade Jossie or like you talked about with Pedro and, and, and Luis Diaz, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a good position to be in if you're Tim Vespachenko. Yeah. I think if you, if you look at the roster and how it's constructed, you look at the starting, you know, the starting 11, if you insert veto into the starting role before he got hurt and you never know how players come back from injuries and that kind of stuff. I think there's three, you know, the three positions you need to look at and eventually make upgrades is Harrison awful uh, on the one backside. Um, you, I think, you can look at our tour and, and his spot. And um, the other one is the other wing from Pedro. I mean, those are your three. If you, if you say those are your, your weakest spots, if you look at the construction of the roster and who's playing here, those are the three spots I would think you look at and say, Hey, how can we address these? Maybe not right now, but maybe into the future or, you know, um, I, I would think 
maybe Chris Cadden gets a little bit more work next year. Um, see how he looks in the back line. Um, but you know, I, I think those are the the spots where you, if you're the crew and if you're Tim and you're looking, Hey, here are the three spots that if we need to make improvements, those are the three we kind of look at. Yeah. I think it's interesting with Chris Cadden because we didn't see a lot of him this year. He was even law left off the game day roster a couple of times. I'm curious how much progress he, he has made, but he's only 23 or 24, I believe. So, uh, time, time for that. But, you know, I, I mean, do I you think, guys agree with that? I mean, those three spots. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. I think once you have players in your thirties, you automatically kind of look to see how, how soon you need to replace those guys, where to look, uh, glad you brought up Vito Wormhor. I think, uh, that will make a significant impact next year. Uh, another guy, Josh Williams, Morgan, I'll, I'll toss it to you for Josh Williams because he's a guy that I think is more like a fan than a player just in terms of how close he is to this community and everything. So for him to win a, a cup, I think there's not another player you probably feel, um, you know, you're, you're just more happy for it on an individual level than Josh Williams. I couldn't be happy for Josh Williams. I couldn't respect Josh Williams more. I couldn't love him more as a fan. Um, it's well documented that Josh grew up a crew fan. Um, it's well documented how much he supported save the crew. It's, uh, it's a, you know, as far, I remember when he showed up at Endeavor the day, uh, that the crew was officially saved. Um, and he just, he was there because he had to be there. He got, you know, somebody told him at practice, Hey, people are heading to Endeavor. And he's like, I'm a crew fan. I'm going. So, you know, I, I remember looking at that starting lineup on, on Saturday and thinking these guys are every single one of these names are 90 minutes away from being legends forever in Columbus. And the first one that I thought of in that regard was Josh Williams. Uh, he's been here through thick and thin and thinner and thinner. And for him to reach the pinnacle uh, in a crew Jersey is just, it does your heart. It makes your heart warm and, and to pick up, you know, he's not, a, he's not an inexpensive uh, backup center back. Yeah. You know, he, he's a, he's a veteran. He's going to make his veteran minimum. And uh, I, I'm so happy they, they chose to bring him back and he earned it too. Yeah. It's not just a, you know, he, he's the, you know, he's kind of a heartbeat of a franchise and he's a legend. Yeah. He was the starter on an MLS cup winning team three days ago. And he played very, very well and he earned it and he deserves it. Well, the other thing is you're, you're going to need to have a deep, you know, as deep or even a deeper roster than you had this year with all the extra games um, that, that the crew will have this year. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's, he, he's, he's the ultimate teammate, you know, I, you know, yes, he wants to be out there and he wants to play and wants to start, but I think he'll accept the role if somebody else is playing better and he'll be right there. If somebody gets hurt, you know, just like this year, you know, he'd step in and you're not worried. And I think that's, that, that's good to know for Caleb and, and, and the rest of the team. Yeah, and credit to the coaching staff for for rewarding guys that play very well too. Josh is clearly a guy who, um, you know, let's be, you could you could certainly find way worse than him, but you're not going to find another guy that just commits himself yeah. more to the product and, and like trying to get better every day in training than than Josh. I mean, Josh just flat out admitted that you know Vito is a more quality player than he is. So I think Josh knows that, um, you know, he's not like kind of the upper echelon of center backs, but what he has always done is committed himself to the work and doing all the little things. And that's why he's been around for so long as a guy who, uh, 
you know, played at Cleveland State for this. So it's it's really remarkable from that end. Well, I, I think that just about wraps it up. You know, well, I, do have, even, I, I have ahead. one question from Morgan. I, I think it's a good way to end it. You know, when, when, when you started this whole Save the Crew moment uh, or movement, you know, you, you were, uh, you know, married or, and, you know, or fian- I don't know how long you've been married to the Pam and everything like that. But, you know, you didn't have any kids. But I just want to know what is it like now to have your daughter you know, I, I know she probably won't remember and that kind of stuff, but like for a legacy kind of piece, like, look, you guys did so much work. And then like, this is my reward for my daughter and for future kids and that kind of stuff. Like, can you just talk about like what it feels like, you know, to watch the game? You know, I don't know if she made it up or, you know, she took a <laughs> couple power naps and watched a little bit of it. You know, I did see a photo earlier in the day uh, on Saturday, but like, can you just talk about like what it like everything that you've been through and then now being a father and, and knowing that, like, to me, I think it'd be the, the ultimate, you know, end goal is, Hey, I have my kids here and now they get to see this for hopefully forever. Yeah. The, the crew is, is, is woven into the very, I don't know, core of my being. And, um, it was, you know, the thought of losing that was always devastating personally um, in retrospect, it takes on an even more important role now that I'm a, I'm a dad. Um, I, I remember when we went to the hospital to have Nora, my daughter, um, when Pam was getting her, um, what do you call it? When the, the, the pain blocker, your, uh, epidural, epidural. Yeah. Four guys on a podcast. Don't yeah. know what that's called. Uh, <laughs> when she got her epidural, obviously like, you know, if you're around crew fandom long enough, 96% of your wardrobe just yeah. becomes crew stuff. And so I'm standing there in, you know, crew sweatshirt and crew warm up pants. And, um, the, one of the nurses like, Oh, you're a crew fan. You know, we're all wearing masks so we can't see each other. And, and there were four people in that room, two nurses, me and, and my wife. And, and all four of us were season ticket holders. And we sat there and just, we just talked for like, I don't know, an hour about this upcoming season and how excited we were and how much we hoped it would happen. Um, so every single minute of, of being a dad from like, even before my kid was even born had something to do with the Columbus crew. Uh, I hope that Nora gets to experience many championships, but to, to have her in the parking lot, to have a, you know, a couple pictures of her pregame, um, you know, she has somebody got her a jumper that said, you know, my daddy saved the crew. And you know, that, that was special this season. Um, it's something I'll always remember about 2020, man. Um, you know, it was the the worst of times and the best of times in many different ways. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that, I think that everyone who's a part of save the crew movement and that, that includes both leadership and, and volunteers and really any crew fan knows that, you know, the best part of this is that we get to keep experiencing it. And that's all we fought for. That's it. Just so that we could keep doing this and, and those after us could come along and do it too, do it better, take this thing to new heights. And, uh, I'm just honored to be associated with it and to to watch this team uh, shatter the ceiling and, and go further and farther than we ever thought possible. Great last question, Kyle, and, and well said, Morgan. Well, I think that that about wraps that. Um, you can continue your binge drinking if you'd like to, Morgan, and we'll talk to all of you at, at some point down the road. I mean, it won't be too long before we're talking CONCACAF Champions League again. So for that, I'm Jacob Myers. It's Morgan Hughes and Kyle Robertson. Morgan, would you like to just say the send off here? Yes, I'd also like to remind people to go to savecrewbook.com. There's a, there's a Christmas special, $19, $17.76, something like that. 
I told what's his name, uh, Pete McGinty, that I would mention it. And uh, now I have contractual obligations completed. Well, on that, Patrick, kick us out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.